0: Chapter Ten of Napoleon: A Short Biography. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Napoleon: A Short Biography by R. M. Johnston. Chapter Ten: Jena and Friedland. War with Prussia, Jena, Murat's march to Lubeck, Eylau. Friedland. to present a clear impression it will be better to follow the first great cycle of wars to its conclusion postponing till its termination a consideration of the political events and changes that accompanied it a peace between france and austria quickly followed austerlitz and after the treaty signed at Pressburg on the twenty sixth of december the french troops gradually evacuated austrian territory but instead of being brought back to the english channel the corps of the grande armée remained for the most part quartered in the south german states that were on friendly terms with napoleon the reason of this was that the downfall of austria had settled nothing russia was still threatening war with prussia had long appeared probable hanover which napoleon had seized immediately after his rupture with england was dangled as a bait before king frederick william's eyes while the emperor pressed on him an anti-british commercial policy diplomatic bickering proceeded through the summer of eighteen o six and on the first of october the prussian ambassador at paris presented a series of demands including one for the withdrawal of the french troops from southern germany that brought matters to a crisis the demands of prussia were rejected by napoleon who was already in the midst of his troops once more as at ulm the emperor repeated the strategic manoeuvre of marengo to understand what took place a glance at the map is necessary from the french frontier to the capital of prussia ran perhaps the most important road in all germany one that was to figure conspicuously in the history of napoleon it led northeast from mayence on the rhine through erfurt and leipzig to berlin midway between the two latter places it crossed at right angles the river elbe which was defended by several large fortresses this road described what was practically a straight line between paris and berlin and appeared to be the necessary scene of the campaign now about to open but the prussian generals had not yet learned the methods of napoleon their army of which the highest ranks were filled by veterans trained under the eye of the great frederick was confident in its machine-like precision was inspired to martial ardor by the influence of the patriotic queen louisa and the princes of the royal house young officers had whetted their swords on the stone steps of the french embassy in berlin and the whole army was animated by hatred of france and a blind confidence in its superiority but the aged duke of brunswick who was in command fell into error the prussian divisions were marched beyond the elbe and thence slowly advanced in a great semicircle stretching out on either side of the mayence road on the fifth of october headquarters were at erfurt and the one hundred and ten thousand men of the prussian army presented a front of about ninety miles between kassel and Rudolstadt, watching the thuringian forest for a first glimpse of the enemy meanwhile what had napoleon been doing aiming as always at dealing a decisive blow he rapidly moved the corps that were protecting the french frontier not along the Mayence Berlin line, but to the eastward through Wurtemberg and Bavaria, where they joined the troops already stationed close to the Austrian border. The army, numbering about 190,000 men, was strongly concentrated about Bamberg and thence marched north and slightly east towards the corner of Bavaria, Saxony, and Bohemia. On the 5th of October, The front of the French army, covering not more than 35 miles, was between Coburg and Hof. and Napoleon, who already shrewdly suspected the approximate position of the Prussians, declared that if he could march unimpeded a few days more, he would be in Berlin first. The French pressed on by long days' marches, and a week later the outposts of the two armies were in touch, not far from Saalfeld. The French extreme left had come into contact with the extreme left of the Prussians. The French were rapidly marching north, the Prussians slowly southwest. Napoleon's object was now to swing about towards his left, so as to get across the great road in the rear of the Duke of Brunswick. This manoeuvre was successfully carried out. The French corps, getting into a line roughly indicated by Salfeld, Jena, and Naumburg, the main strength constantly tending northwards and towards the elbe when the duke of brunswick discovered that the french army had completely turned his left flank and was rapidly moving towards his line of communications he issued orders for a general movement eastwards in hopes of being able to retreat towards the line of the elbe through Jena and naumburg but he was just a few hours too late and was compelled to fight with his enemy between him and his line of retreat on the fourteenth of october were fought two battles within a few miles at Jena and at auerstadt at auerstadt davoust with inferior numbers held his position all day and prevented the passage of the king of prussia and the duke of brunswick at Jena, with superior numbers Napoleon utterly crushed Hohenlohe. The Prussian infantry fought well until beaten. Then the French cavalry rode them down with ease. The pursuit of the defeated army by Murat was of an extraordinary character. He all but literally galloped from Jena to Lubeck on the Baltic Sea in three weeks, with the corps of Lannes, Soult, and Bernadotte, together with a large division of cavalry he swept up the remains of the prussian army and captured all the fortresses he passed blucher with twenty thousand men was the last to hold out surrendering after murat had stormed Lubeck on the seventh of november in the meanwhile napoleon with the other half of the army had pressed on to berlin which he occupied on the twenty seventh of october this was the most decisive and brilliant in its results of all the campaigns of napoleon but the uncertainty of war the fickleness of fortune were demonstrated by the course of that which was immediately to follow russia was now as anxious to support prussia against france as she had been to support austria but once more the allies had gone in singly and paid the consequences by the time that napoleon had destroyed the army of prussia and occupied her capital with the greater part of her territory the russian corps were barely across the frontier napoleon decided not to await them but to march even to poland if necessary and there dispose of these last enemies during two months following Jena, french columns were marching steadily north and east from prosperous and rich central germany towards the desolate plains of eastern prussia and poland napoleon so as to utilize the political sentiments of the poles now in hopes of recovering their lost independence determined to base himself on the line of the vistula and to place his headquarters at warsaw the russian commander Bennigsen, anxious to support the prussians moved into the coast provinces covering Kernisberg, and operating towards danzig these two fortresses with a small body of troops now represented all that remained of the prussian power on the twenty fifth of december a partial engagement between the two armies took place at pultusk in which the losses were heavy and the results indecisive then napoleon and bennigsen both went into winter quarters until early in february eighteen o seven when the latter determined to make an attempt to crush bernadotte's corps before it could be assisted by the others in this he failed napoleon rapidly concentrating hoped in turn to deal a heavy blow at his antagonist but the success of great military operations often depends on the most trifling details a staff officer conveying dispatches to marshal bernadotte fell into the hands of the cossacks and bennigsen thus became informed of napoleon's plans he promptly moved his army to safer positions and finally stood his ground and offered battle near the little village of ailao there on the eighth of february was fought one of the most bloody battles of the empire a raging snowstorm impeded the first movements of the french marshal augereau's corps lost its direction advanced to the attack diagonally and was surrounded and annihilated by the russians a great gap was opened in the french line at eylau and bennigsen sent forward his infantry to pierce it napoleon and his staff appeared in the greatest danger but a few battalions of the guard held their ground with grim desperation and the emperor calm and unmoved declined to change his position it was necessary to relieve the pressure on the french centre at any cost and thus gain time to bring fresh troops up so murat was ordered to collect all the available cavalry and advance on the russian centre seventy squadrons of dragoons and cuirassiers, lancers and chasseurs about ten thousand men then followed that most brilliant of cavalry leaders through the whirls of snow straight for the russian line this remarkable charge of cavalry was carried a distance of nearly three thousand yards before it was spent it swept everything in its front pierced completely through the russian center and gave napoleon the relief he so urgently needed from then on to dusk the battle was fought with dogged obstinacy on both sides the french making but little progress at night each army and each commander was beaten thirty thousand dead men four thousand dead horses lay between them napoleon and bennigsen both made preparations for retreat but the former guessed his opponent's intentions in time countermanded his first orders occupied the russian positions next morning and claimed aylou as a victory but the french army and all europe realized that the victory was purely technical and that bennigsen had come very near defeating the invincible conqueror was the spell broken all through germany in austria and in the remotest parts of italy the opponents of napoleon drew breath and declared his fall was near he meanwhile retired to winter quarters once more and called up from every corner of the empire fresh contingents of men to stop the enormous gaps made in his ranks one of napoleon's favorite theories was that numbers constituted the essential factor of success it was not till june that the armies could be once more got into motion in a country where the spring comes so late as in prussian poland the new campaign opened badly for the french as bennigsen held his ground successfully in a partial engagement at heilsberg manoeuvring followed and at last an opportunity arose of which napoleon took full advantage bennigsen marched down the right bank of the alle towards Königsberg, which one-half of the french army under murat was threatening at friedland he sent a detachment to the further bank to occupy that town a french corps that of lannes deployed against the town and engaged the russians bennigsen sent over more troops in support and seeing no sign of french reinforcements came to the hasty conclusion that he had only lannes corps to deal with he accordingly decided to cross the river in strength and crush this isolated opponent but behind lannes in the wooded semicircle of hills that nearly surround friedland the emperor oudinot nay, victor Mortier and the guard were hurrying on. Napoleon watched the Russian movements until he judged that Bennigsen had gone too far to withdraw, and then the whole army advanced to Lannes' support. The Russians were outnumbered nearly two to one, and were in a wretched position to fight, massed in a contracted space where the converging fire of the French artillery could not fail to cause havoc, and with a river behind them bennigsen was utterly defeated with heavy loss and retreated with his shattered army to the russian frontier napoleon pursued and a few days later reached the little river niemen boundary of prussia and russia at this point he received overtures for peace from the czar alexander which he accepted and it was agreed that the two emperors should meet in a raft moored in midstream close to the town of Tilsit. This famous interview, which will be dealt with in the following chapter, marks the close of the first great cycle of the wars of the Empire, that which was marked by nearly unclouded success. End of chapter 10 Recording by Linda Johnson